Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Iruk the Yen of Chacht Erechor. Agasuligum a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfin. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nachvetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestin Echo. Vientolum again omgrev or corn rachtum. Yatakshatorin Graven or Corson, Elistuhalagus Gimina Fracht, Gorokligs or Dukashin Echor. Only Venown, Thordorakshin. Shachten. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Hello and you're welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Weckler, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent. This week, we've got a kind of an incredible story about an Irish company that literally tried to do the impossible. I'm joined by Barry White, who's the chief feature writer or correspondent, writer, correspondent, writer. reporter, writer with the Business Post. Welcome to the podcast, Barry. Thanks, Adrian. Barry, you wrote a book. I just finished it the other night. Really, really good book called Thank you. Uh, The Impossible Dream, The Spectacular Rise and Fall of Storm, the Celtic Tiger's Most Audacious Startup. Just for any of us who've been in the game for a while, this was an incredible story. It was an incredible startup. This was a company that essentially uh, was claiming that it could uh, perpetrate perpetual motion, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. Um, and they they kind of emerged that they really hit the, the headlines in 2006 when they took out an ad in The Economist magazine claiming that they had uh, produced uh, or de- devised a machine that could create energy from nothing. And of course, they did it in the most Celtic Tiger way possible. Not only was it an ad in The Economist, but rather than just claiming that they'd uh, invented this machine, they dared the scientific community to prove them wrong. And what we didn't know at the time was that they'd raised a hefty chunk of money uh, to to develop this device. So they, they were very, very well funded, even by Celtic t- Tiger standards. Mm. Uh- We'll get to the actual uh, devices of what I like about the way you've written this. You do mix it up a lot in terms of the zeitgeist of the era, which was Celtic Tiger. We had this unbelievable arrogance about ourselves that we could kind of do anything. Ireland had arrived. Nobody was going to stop us. And a couple of our best and brightest engineers have found something that ye lads never figured out in hundreds of years. And we're going to be able to do Let's just Let's just talk for a second about what it was that they said that they had discovered and how this energy was going to it was going to happen. Well, what they claimed was that they had in because uh, they were initially involved in uh, online building websites and, and consulting in online and then doing subsequently doing online security. And one of the things that they had uh, been commissioned to do was to develop an ATM camera. So a camera that sits over an ATM, and if there's any sort of skimming going on, the camera would record it. Now, one of the things that you have to do with a camera like that is make it very, very small, and that presents challenges with how you power it. So they were coming up with different ways of powering it. And one of them was a kind of a, a, a wind turbine. 
and that involves a kind of arrangement of magnets. Now, we all know how magnets work. Uh, well, actually, can I stop you there? I mean, I think I know how a magnet works, but it's actually quite a deep subject. It, it is a, a surprisingly deep subject because, of course, it, you know, when you when you play around with magnets, they they have kind of a, they seem to have a life of their own. They can repel things with this invisible force, and it's cool, and that's why kids are drawn to them, and sometimes big kids are drawn to them. But actually, the science underpinning magnets, both permanent magnets and then uh, electromagnets, which are a magnets that you can sort of effectively create by running a charge through uh, certain types of metal, uh, that that science is really, really very, very deep. And, and it can kind of fool you into thinking that with the right arrangement of magnets and set up in just the right way and with enough magnets, you can harness this apparent force that it produces to um, and, and, and harvest the energy. And so, the yeah. So, so if we could just look at that element, you're right. This is one of the most seductive notions in science, isn't it? I mean, I, I've thought about yeah. it. I mean, I put a sure. little ball bearing beside a magnet. It seems to run away from the magnet. Then I put another magnet somewhere else and it seems to attract the ball. My head starts spinning. I start thinking, hold on a second. If I put line six or seven magnets up, I could mm-hmm. make this ball go from here to there with almost no extra energy myself. Yeah. Is that basic? And, and that has seduced Mad Hatter inventors and, and some sane ones as well over yeah. decades and centuries. Is that the genesis of what these guys were thinking? That's effectively it. And look, I mean, you don't, you don't have to be kind of gullible and silly to believe that that magnets have this terrific, and if only you could just harness it the right way. I mean, Einstein himself wrote about magnets and and how they had sort of um, caught his imagination as a kid. Um, but one of the things as, as I was uh, researching and re- reporting this book is you go looking for other people who have found similar things and, and other sort of amateur tinkerers who have done this. And there are a lot of them mm. and they're not all stupid. Uh, and, and in fact, the majority of them are not stupid at all. I mean, there's there's one uh, that sort of caught my attention was an Italian engineer who built something the size of a fairground Ferris wheel, built almost entirely covered in magnets that he said the arrangement of magnets would keep it spinning and keep it rolling. And here's the really crucial part of this. He, like Storm, invited physicists to come along and debunk him. He was so confident that he said, mm. come along, analyze this. You will not find that there is uh, an external power source. I, I haven't arranged this in such a way to make it look like it's producing energy. And the physicist that came along to analyze it said, I know that this can't work. The laws of physics say it can't work. But just now, because of the complexity of the machine and, and the arrangement, I can't tell you why it is still spinning around. Mm. And that's that's really the kind of the core of this. We know it can't work because physics tells us it can't work, but it takes a huge amount of investigation to figure out where the error was made that produced this thing that apparently moves around uh, uh, independent of any source of energy. Because when you think of additional forces, say gravity, for example, Mm -hmm. then if you go even one step further and you think about the rays of the sun, or the wind. You're now into reasonable sources of energy that we have marshaled, uh, uh, you know, very effectively. 
But there still is that really, really alluring idea that if I could just give it a little push or from time to time give it an extra little bit of, uh, uh, of a push, that these magnets would somehow um, do all the work. Um, you mentioned The Economist ad. Now, I remember that Economist ad. This was in 2006, yeah. as far as I recall. Yes. And that caused a huge stir at the time. I mean, this gave these guys international attention. I should, by the way, say who the co-founders are, because you, you refer to them quite a lot, particularly Sean yeah. McCarthy, who's the, really the main character in this book and in the story. You, you go in some depth through a lot of the investors as well, but co-founded mm -hmm. by Sean McCarthy, consultant Mike Daly, uh, solicitor Francis Hackett and Sean Menzies. That's right, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but these guys, they did have some business credibility as engineers oh, yeah. and as consultants. I mean, they had... They were responsible, for example, for, I think, building the worldoffruit.com uh, website in the early That's days. That's right. Yeah, uh, the, the infamous World of Fruit uh, website, which was Fife's, the, uh, the banana import company, their uh, attempt to build what sounds, again, crazy and, and, and the little dot-com bubblish at the time, a, an online trading platform for fruit, mm. um, which, because it failed seems like it was always doomed to failure, but wasn't necessarily always doomed to failure. Um, an, an online trading platform for fruit isn't a terrible idea, but the, the main point here is that when they were looking to build this thing, which was complex and, and wasn't as easy to do then as we would find it now, it was to Storm they went. Hmm. Now, I'll, I'll ask you about some of the investors and some of the other elements around it, but fast forward a couple of years, and they actually they, they they go out and they look for validation from universities and they they you know they go on road shows and they get investment but it one of the high points or one of the climaxes of the book is and of their story is when they actually tried to put on a public demonstration in london mm -hmm. uh, i think that was 2007 and they notify everybody about this they fly people they fly skeptics in um, yeah, the the world's media. They say they have they have this down pat. They're going to show you what this machine looks like. They're going to set it off, and you are everybody's going to see. And, and they were so confident that they built it in perspex, see through transparent uh, perspex with ball bearings uh, um, mm -hmm. inside. Um, so what happened? Yeah, and look, that's that's one of the key points uh, because I suppose when the ad first came out people presumed that this was a scam mm. and that they were raising money and that they would very, very quickly vanish to the Bahamas. But they didn't because they were really true believers in this thing. And the degree to which they truly believed could be measured in the fact that they went to London uh, and they they put on this exhibition uh, for the world's media. And as you say, they 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 invited skeptics from all over the world to come and and, and interrogate and examine and, and to find the errors. Uh, and uh, unfortunately for Storm, uh, the skeptics didn't have much work to do because it, they in in setting this this enormous demonstration model up uh, according to Storm, according to Sean McCarthy, there was some error. Uh, in the way that they'd set it up uh, that was never really um, illuminated or elucidated at the time, but that led to the ball bearings in the machine expanding under the heat of the, the lamps, which meant that the machine never actually started. So it, it, it wasn't really a demonstration at all because they never demonstrated anything. It failed before they could even set it up. 
and the reaction was scathing, predictably. Yeah, which they sort of knew at the time. They knew that they, even before they got to London, they knew that the stakes were high, very, very high, and, and that if they didn't demonstrate something, anything, that they would immediately be descended upon and and castigated. And that's precisely what happened. They were, um, you know, having been originally portrayed as scam artists and cuteurs, they were now idiots for mm. having ever believed that this thing could have worked. And that's how they were portrayed. And I suppose that was the defining uh, kind of moment for them. That's how they've been portrayed ever since. Yeah, I think The Economist described it as perpetual nonsense and Engadget, I think, called it yeah. magic fairy powered rotary and magnetic systems. Um, nevertheless, even after that, they actually launched a couple of consumer products uh, based on this, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they tried anyway. Um, I mean, that was quite a long time after. That was 2016, 2017. Mm. And I suppose for, for a decade, they went into almost hibernation. They uh, kind of closed themselves off from, from all sorts of publicity. They'd learned their lesson about not courting publicity. But the interesting thing was between uh, 2006 and I suppose the crash, they raised a couple million more from their investors because a lot of people still believed that they could produce this thing. So the money, the original money that they'd raised and the money that they subsequently raised, I mean, that was just sitting there. Um, and since they still had a management team that believed that the London demonstration was an unfortunate blip and a, a large enough rump of shareholders who believed the same, they decided to keep at it. And uh, one of the things, they, they went through a number of iterations of this this device. So by 2016, they were running out of money and they decided, well, we better launch something, anything. And that's when they came up with a never die mobile phone and a charger that would uh, trickle charge any device you want and would never itself run out of energy. It was the O phone and the O cube. And the O phone, Correct. I think, costs 500 euro and the O cube costs 1200 euro or the other way around. That's right. That's right. Um, and they set it up. Uh, the phone and the cube were set up in with demonstration models around in a couple of pubs around Dublin. And they had some kind of uh, cheerleaders who would say, well, I've got this phone and I've had it for a while and it hasn't died and I'm still able to make phone calls on it. Uh, oh, by the way, in, otherwise known as a Nokia 8110. But anyway, continue. That's precisely yeah. what it was. Yeah. And I suppose, again, look, you kind of have to balance a couple of things when you're talking about this. You have to balance what they, what we know from physics and mm -hmm. what they thought they knew from their engineering of this product over a decade. But I think we can safely say that their ambitions had slimmed down substantially because they thought that the, the most complex and energy-consuming device that they could potentially charge off this was a phone that was by then already a kind of a byword for rudimentary mobile phones. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, even if they had, if they had, if those products had worked, you know, and, and never needs to be charged mobile phone, even a basic one is still an, an achievement, you know, uh, in itself. One of the interesting things, um, I mean, there, there are a lot of interesting things in the book, in some anecdotes and a lot of testimony. You obviously went to quite a lot of uh, effort to get a lot of uh, different uh, stories and sides to this. 
But during that London demonstration, for example, in 2007, there was a moment when one of the associates or engineers, I can't remember who it was exactly, they came to uh, Sean McCarthy's and his engineering team's uh, demo session before the big demonstration. And the team hadn't gotten the product to work properly. And they were due to pack the whole thing up and go to London. This was in Dublin. They are due to pack the whole thing uh, up and go to London a couple of days later. Mm-hmm. And even though they hadn't gotten the machine working, McCarthy took them all to the pub. He did. Yeah, he did. I mean, Sean McCarthy, I suppose he's a fascinating character in, in a lot of ways. Um, he has a... Uh, you know, up to a certain point, he has an admirable resume, and that point is about sort of 2006. Um, he has worked for some very, very large engineering companies. He has a lot of corporate experience. He has worked with big teams. He knows how to handle people. He's also a very engaging character, and you know, um, he can. He, he is he's quite convincing and compelling, and he tells a very, very good story. So I would imagine that a lot of the time. You know, when things are going bad with the team, uh, a quick trip to the pub would have been precisely the kind of the, the 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 solution you needed to to wash away any difficulties. Although maybe not hours before you're maybe about not hours to stake before, your entire no. reputation on something that that doesn't really work. You obviously um, he he gave you fairly decent access for this book in terms of he obviously sat for you. Um, yes, yeah, uh, yeah, we quite had quite a bit hours of interviews. Mm. Um, how how did you find him? Did you find, and, and you've fairly faithfully, uh, it would seem, reflected a lot of what he said, what, what what he told you. And he has said, he's expressed a lot of remorse and said that they did things wrong. And yet he still says that he believes in the basic science and the basic technology. He says multiple times during the book that he still thinks this could work. Yeah. Yeah, um, it was a decision I made sort of very early on that you can talk about Sean McCarthy in the book or you can let Sean McCarthy talk for himself. He is such a, a contentious character uh, within Storn and I suppose um, within, I suppose, the, the coverage of Storn at the time, people will have a particular view of him. Uh, and, and really the best approach was to, to let him explain the story as best he could and let people make up their own minds. Um, and, you know, I think that was probably the fairest to him, uh, but I think it was probably also the most accurate uh, way of, of telling that story, because I think what he does is he conveyed, and again, to your point about the uh, going to the pub the night before this thing was to be shipped to London, that was that was rooted, in, in my view, in a, in a, a very Celtic tigery sort of belief mm. that, you know, things will work out. This is Ireland and it's the Celtic tiger and things will work out. And he had that belief. He was he was marinated in that uh, not just self confidence, but a kind of a cultural confidence that we had, however misplaced it might have been. And I think it's very hard to describe that. You just have to let him display it. I mean, what occurred to me was hubris, not him narrowly or specifically, but the way that and and you you've couched a lot of this book in the the hubristic uh, atmosphere of the time. The fact that he would go to the pub and bring his team to the pub and think that it would mm-hmm. still all work out. There was this bizarre um, sentiment and atmosphere that things would, you know, the property market will never crash. Yeah. This cannot fail. And and 
you know, and you do capture you do capture that quite a lot. I mean, for example, some of the investors to in in Storn. I mean, there there are a few farmers, um, yeah. never fools with their money. Um, but and there were also a lot of white collar professionals like Davy executives and solicitors and lawyers. Yeah, and that's I suppose what surprised me when I really started to dig into this, because there was a, a perception that it was just fools and their money, uh, and and they were being uh, easily parted. But actually, th- this was this was not a a bunch of stupid people. These were were smart people. Um, they, as you say, there were farmers who who had sort of built up their own businesses, ran their own farms, which were businesses, but also had um, kind of uh, related businesses and companies that they'd set up associated with that. There were accountants from all over the country. <coughs> Excuse me. There were solicitors, um, and and you know uh, investment uh, advisors and, and professionals of all stripes, and that's what really surprised me is just how high caliber the investors were when you mm. really delved into the the share register and that's when you start to realize well maybe they weren't all just idiots they couldn't have just pulled every single idiot with laser focus and mm. taken their money from them this must be telling us something more profound about that period and yet at the same time throughout all of the people you spoke to in this book one of the thing, one of the questions that I was left asking, particularly in some of those investors that we've just spoken about, is, would be to get their side of it. I, I would just, as a follow up for me personally, I would love to know why they thought that this engineer or a couple of engineers had managed to break the laws of thermodynamics and physics, where you know MIT, Harvard, all these these other uh, big mm-hmm. brains hadn't. Just, they may be very savvy in their own field, and but they were still willing to give over fifty thousand here, seventy five thousand there. Like when they were, if their wives or husbands ever asked them why they were investing, what they were investing in, like didn't they interrogate it themselves? I mean, like their own, or or was the level of hubris in Ireland just so great at the time? That it just didn't make that much. It was just a long, uh, a long shot bet. They were willing to, you know, blow fifty grand on. I I think there are two sort of distinct uh, but related Celtic Tiger uh, phenomenons. One is that there was a kind of a belief that anything was possible. I mean, uh, look, you're you're a tech journalist. You'll know just how many utterly improbable things came on the scene at that time. Uh, from a from a tech perspective, mobile phones that contain the sum of human knowledge and can mm. be carried around, and, and you know, uh, so things that you couldn't have imagined ten years before were suddenly possible. And Ireland was suddenly wealthy, which you couldn't have imagined ten years prior. So people maybe were more convinced that something uh, improbable like this mm. was possible. The other thing was they had far more surplus money than they'd ever had, and they had invested the rest of their surplus money in the safe things, the bonds, the property, the bank shares, all the things, safe things, all the things that we thought were safe at the time, but that any sensible portfolio manager would have said, right, you've just come into a bit of money. You've sold some land or your, your, your rich granny has just died. uh, And, or your sort of not so rich granny has just died and the house that she lived in is now worth a fortune. So you've got this money. Here's what you do with 80% of it. And you put it into these safe things. Now, what do you do with the other 20? Well, 
it's just sitting around there and then some guy comes along and says i need 50 grand for this really really long shot and it's not doing anything else so why not put it into stone you've put it into all the safe things you've done mm -hmm. all the things that you were supposed to do sensibly so why not take a punt it's that or, or lottery tickets yeah and i think still, that kind it's of it still doesn't paint a great picture of us culturally at the time. Uh, it's it very it accurately doesn't. captured, but it, it really doesn't because, you know, so yes, you have 50 grand spare that, that you can, mm -hmm. uh, you can lose, but you're still basically betting on magic beans, you know? Yeah. And look, I think I must have contacted more than 100, 200 investors uh, whose contact details I had. The vast vast majority of them never replied they didn't want to know about it they saw an email that it's said Storn. It, of course it was embarrassing of course it was and and they del probably deleted that email and i feel bad for having raised that terrible specter in their minds others came back and and said it more explicitly said i'm, I'm never talking about this subject again very sorry mm. but some of them came back and they're the guys that i quoted in the book and they they wanted to explain why they had made this investment and the reason they wanted to explain why they'd made this investment was to avoid this ever happening to anyone else again. Mm. Because the culture was so feverish, they were caught up in it. And now they have a little bit of, of perspective. Uh, these guys, uh, and they are all men uh, who, who came back to me for some reason, but they have come back and said, look, if you can learn anything from the, the experience we had with this investment, let it be some form of prudence. Mm -hmm. Throughout the book and throughout the criticism that Storn got over the years, a lot of people uh, tried to paint it as a scam. But the impression I get through the book, both from McCarthy's own testimony, from your investigation into it, and even from details such as the liquid, when Storn was eventually uh, wound up and the liquidator was going through the assets. Um, the liquidator's own uh, sense was that there was nothing there that indicated this actually was a scam. That, And I, I think this is something that McCarthy himself tells you that um, uh, he's not proud of because the, the alternate uh, finding is that they're idiots because it wasn't a scam. So if it wasn't a scam and the book suggests that it wasn't, it suggests that they really did believe that these guys who, you know, very professional in their field, but not at all up there when it comes to, you know, deep revolutionary science, they really did think that they had broken the law or that they had found an anomaly. I think anomaly was the word they kept using. Yeah. yeah. Um, and... They're kind of, McCarthy's sort of um, hung with his own petard, uh, hoisted with his own petard on the idiots thing, because if he still believes it's possible, um, he's kind of doubling down on it again, isn't he? He is to a very large extent. Um, I think when the company was first liquidated, uh, I met him in a coffee shop near Trinity College and his his characterization of it at the time that despite his his degrees in engineering and his years before Storm with some really really very reputable companies was that he wouldn't get a job as a taxi driver in this town mm. and look that's true he won't um and his his efforts to to sort of change the spelling of his name from s-e-a-n to s-h-a-u-n um won't 
won't throw uh, the amateur sleuths off his tail. By he the way, is forever. Well, yeah, when I think of SHAUN, I think of like the Happy Mondays or the, the Mank <laughs> uh, uh, hip hop scene. I don't know why it goes for S or, or Sean the Sheep. I think Sean the Sheep spells his name that way, Wallace and Gromit. I'm not sure. Why I, I think I think you're right. I'm not sure if any of that was going through Sean McCarthy's head when he was changing yeah. the spelling of his name. But he he ended up um, after that. He ended up setting out on a career in online poker, and then I think in cryptocurrency mining. That's right. Initially, I think he was he was uh, doing online poker to pay the bills. That's how he described it. Um, and I presume. You can make a decent amount of money by playing multiple hands through a given day if you know the the, the correct way to play them. I don't, but obviously Sean McCarthy does. Uh, but that I think led him in turn then to cryptocurrencies, which was the the next big sort of thing. Mm. Um, and and he, you know he he has a company that is set up to do that. Um, but I think in his spare time, he hasn't given up the ghost on on the idea of a just that you know that alluring uh prospect of the right arrangement of magnets or electromagnets that might just produce uh additional energy i mean look on the very 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 off chance that he pulls it off in his spare time in two or five or ten years time you and i will be talking again about you know a genius who was driven underground and uh just on the brink of catastrophe you know, came back and this incredible technology that has revolutionized the world, changed the Middle East. Um, he'll have somebody like, uh, you know, Tom Cruise playing his his character, you know, in the movie. Um, I don't think it's cynical to suggest that that's probably not going to happen. Uh, um, and and not because we don't like triers, because we, we do. We do like triers. Of course, yeah, and, yeah. and we do like guys for all, I hope this podcast that we're having doesn't come across as being sarky or or sneering because it's not and your book doesn't either your your book is is uh has uh, you know at times a very empathetic tone in terms of recognizing raw effort for what it is and ambition for what it is it's not necessarily a bad thing um but it it, i mean it it, it's just a it's a fascinating story because not only what he tried to set out to do but also because of of how he how it encapsulates um, that sort of Irish, maybe deluded yeah. sense of of confidence. Yeah, I think you know. There's there's a I, I, before I started writing the book, there was a lot of people I think were expecting it to be a hatchet job, um, and I never set out to do a hatchet job on on anyone. I don't think in my life, uh, but. If it was, it was a hatchet job on all of us collectively because we were all equally guilty. So if you are to mock Storn for their uh, Celtic tigerishness, then I'm afraid you, you, we must all be collectively responsible for the, the, the culture that created that. In relation to the question of, of whether he might succeed in the future, I suppose I'd point to two things. One is uh, in the centuries of people attempting to build these kinds of devices using magnets and other things nobody has ever done it mm. and nobody has ever come close our, our world is still powered to a large extent but by maybe, hydrocarbons maybe if they just organize it just slightly <laughs> differently if they just put well the second thing is that i was speaking because obviously i had to in order to ask the right questions i had to learn an awful lot about what the sort of the orthodox thinking as as John would view it is and as some as one physicist pointed out if this were at all possible 
what you would be describing is an unstable universe. Mm. And an unstable universe would collapse immediately. If energy could simply be created out of nothing, it would vanish in a second because it would be so unstable. So thankfully, it's not possible because we're still here. Well, it's an absolutely fascinating story. Here's the book uh, again, The Impossible Dream um, by Barry J. White, who is the chief features writer with The Business Post. Uh, used to be The Sunday Business Post when I was there. Now now The Business Post. Um, because you can get it all week. You can get it all week. Well, I, I, I've said this now three podcasts in a row. I actually built that website. I was the one who actually changed it. Not, not the latest, mm. latest version. But before I, I left to go to the Indo, um, we we introduced the first paywalled website and we changed it from, I think it was sbp.e or sbpost.e to businesspost.e, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm, anyway, I'm not going to go on a, 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 a glory run there. Uh, there wasn't that much glory in it at the time. Um, <laughs> you were ahead of your time, Adrian. Uh, maybe, maybe. That's another <laughs> podcast. Um, listen, Barry, thanks very much for joining the podcast. Thanks uh, for having me on. And that is all we have time for this week on The Big Tech Show. So from me, Adrian Weckler, we will be with you the same time next week. Bye-bye.